My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome back to Transmissions. So glad to have you here with us once again. This week on the show, I am more than pleased to share my conversation with Leticia Sadir. As the main vocalist of Stereolab, her spacey voice shines at the human core in that project's motoric and dense avant pop. It has always signified to my ears the very definition of the word cool. To quote Warp Records creative director Stephen Christian, Stereolab exists in the gap between the experimentation of the underground and the appeal of the wider world of pop music. And indeed, that band's albums, particularly those for the major label Elektra, which benefited from you know the major label distribution model of the 1990s, offered an introduction to many sound worlds for listeners. I'm talking experimental and electronic music, Kraut rock, space age lounge sounds, so much more. Stereolab is a absolute definition of the term gateway band. Outside of Stereolab, she has been an active force on her own as well. She's appeared in a variety of contexts on albums by Common, Atlas Sound, Tyler the Creator, and Deerhoof. In 1996, she formed Monade, a solo vehicle, and in 2010, she released her debut under her own name. The Trip on Drag City. Her latest is called Rooting for Love and it's out now. Joined by members of the Leticia Sidir Source Ensemble and a multi-voice choir, these new songs feature minimalist elements, Brazilian glide, and propulsive ambient funk, all while lyrically yearning for a kind of gnosis, a new revelation of sacred knowing. I don't make a habit of quoting directly from record label album descriptions too often, but sometimes Drag City makes it especially hard to resist. They've got great copy over there at Drag City. Writing about Rooting for Love, they say, Leticia has issued a call to the traumatized civilians of Earth. We're urged to finally evolve past our countless millennia of suffering and alienation. Sounds pretty good, right? I am obsessed with this album, and it has indeed provided a feeling of healing, wholeness, and optimism to me over these last few months, and I am really excited to share this open-hearted conversation with her about the record and a lot more with you. But before that, I want to offer a check-in from the Aquarium Trunkard Transmissions inbox. Last week, I put out a call for listeners to share their thoughts about the show with me if they had any. And I got a great message from Lawrence Lilvik of the skull-crushing hummingbird zine slash radio show slash newsletter. With his permission, I wanted to share a little from it. Here we go. Hi, Jason. I heard your call for emails on the podcast with scientists today. And there are few things I enjoy more than connecting with people whose work inspires me. Hey, I can relate to that as the host of this podcast. That's the whole reason why I do it. This past year, my girlfriend got us gym memberships. 
I'm 50 and I've never been to a gym or worked out in my life, but I suppose it was time. It being Portland, Oregon, they play cool music and the desk guy complimented my mud honey shirt. That said, I still feel out of place with all the gym bros. My point is that twice a week at 5 a.m., I'm there on a treadmill listening to podcasts, transmissions, and revolutions per movie being two of my main go-tos. Lawrence's email struck me, uh, not just because I've been struggling to maintain my own gym routine, and it's a reminder that I need to get over myself and get to it, um, but also because it's beyond fun for me to imagine how this podcast works in people's lives, and it's fun to envision how and where they listen. I guess I never have thought of Transmissions as a show that would make a great traditional gym soundtrack, but it's exciting to hear that it fits into Lawrence's life that way, and anything I can do to help somebody take care of themselves and do their thing, uh, it, it just really makes me feel good to know that this show has some utility that way. Oh, and Lawrence also had a takeaway from last week's episode with dub reggae legend scientist he writes man the scientist is such a cool guy but i am not giving up my fender blues deluxe amp roger that lawrence i will not be giving up my basement either lawrence's email has me thinking about taking care of my body and this conversation with leticia sadir concerns among many other things uh, some discussion about taking care of our collective body the planet itself Along with the radical potentiality of love, what it felt like to reunite with Stereolab in 2019, her engagements with hip-hop culture, and some reflections on working with trip producer Richard Swift, the late great Richard Swift. So how about we let the tape roll? Here is Leticia Sadir. You are listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Thank you so much for being with us here today. so much for joining us here on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. It's a real pleasure to speak with you, and I've really enjoyed spending time with Rooting for Love. This album is really great. Well, thank you. But yeah, you know, so I went back and I was revisiting other interviews with you, and I know that you talked about how when Stereolab was in full swing, uh, you know, before the reunion and all of that stuff, the group often worked, I think you used the term almost like an assembly line. It was very quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, you know, when it comes to your solo work, is it similar or is it different? Because it feels to me like Rooting for Love, these songs have a real 
expansive quality and they feel like something that maybe you spend a lot of time on um how long do does it usually how long have you been working on this particular set of songs well it i didn't really calculate exactly but it it was a number of years for Mm. a number of reasons and and indeed between stereo labs way of working which is different in the sense that, you know, well, Tim is very prolific, so he'll write 30, 40 songs, maybe more, and and he'll seek to record as many of those as possible, you know, in a studio that is usually quite a good quality studio that we have to pay, usually out of an advance uh, or, or whatever. But it's, right. and And I guess that, you have to be efficient, and um, and anyway, he's he's got his, his own creative process, you know, and indeed the 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 conveyor belt kind of feel. <laughs> I mean, which to me was and also exhausting because it's next, 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 quick, 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 you know, about like extracting as much material from you know the little amount of time that we have and and personally i find that very frustrating to work like that and um and i like to take my time i'm a slow i i like to take things slow and um yeah and let things arrive you know yeah. allow them give them time and space to arrive and you know invite them of course but like when you're ready you arrive <laughs> so yeah well so we have very different processes uh tim and i and um and i'm i'm very pleased to be able to to work uh you know to be in a position where i can release my own records but I make my own records in my time so i decided to make a studio in my in my house so it's basically a room in fact the room that has the most sun because i like to see the sun as well when we're in the studio with no sun i feel very unhappy yeah like such cabin fever and i feel so oppressed because i don't know maybe i'm a bit claustrophobic or something but you know, being being cooped up in a room with no sun and air conditioning is like my my uh, definition of of hell in a way. <laughs> so um, I like to see the light. I am photosensitive. Um, if I could have an outdoor, you know, I would re- recording studio. I would love that too. I bet. But um, yeah. So it was all done in my own time. But there were accelerations when my friend Hannes would come over with his really good microphones and his whatever good compressors and um you know and he'd come over for three days so in those three days and again yes we had to combine I wasn't gonna have him oh just come over for a day you set up everything and then you have two hours and then you have to pack so we were trying also to strategize and uh, be in that position of extracting as much material and going through as much as we could in those three days. So I don't know exactly how many spurts of three days we had. I would say maybe five. 
Yeah. And, you know, and that, you know, that, that would be a great advancement. And, um, and then, uh, and then I would carry on working at my own pace and getting ideas and, you know, trying things out in the middle. Also in the middle, well, all of a sudden Sterilab was reforming and, and, you know, playing songs, going on tour. So I've had to put my album on hold. Um, and then uh, there was this other album that was in the works with my friends from Brazil, Mombojo, and, and the band that we formed together, uh, the Modern Cosmology Band. Right. And, and this album that was also in the Cosmic Works for a few years finally came to full fruition and i felt that it was time for that to come out um the last year actually 2023 and um and my album which was you know kind of planned to come out in in april 2021 ends up coming out this month yeah yeah so it's been a long i mean not just when you say you like to take your time, it wasn't just that the songs took a while to come together. It was that there were other things also that kind of called for your attention. Uh, I, I got to see one of the Stereo Lab shows uh, in 2000, I guess 2019, right? Pre-pandemic. Uh-huh. Where um, were you? I'm Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, okay. A, a venue called the Crescent Ballroom. And I never thought I would get the chance to see Stereo Lab, so... It was really tremendous and a great show. Thank um, you. But it, but you know, listening to this record, it's clear that you know your voice is so recognizable, and your voice is such a has a quality to it that when people hear it, of course they think of Stereo Lab, you know who they heard first. But something that really struck me about this record was. Your voice is one of many on this record. Um, even though it's credited to you, it really does feel like there's a collective sense implied by the harmonies, by the extra vocals. Was that something that you thought about going in? Um, this idea of because the the group that is credited with some of the stuff it's referred to as the choir, right? That was uh, yeah. was there was there always a collective element sort of kicking around in your head when it came to the songs for Rooting for Love? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, and it's it's not a new theme mm-hmm. uh, in my in my creative in my creative life or even in, in my life at large, because, um, you know, we're, we're told there's a narrative that's let's see um, the the sort of uh, capitalist ideology that we are alone we are one we are uh, we are just so singular we are uh, what's the word you know we are the individualism basically yeah. right and, um and i think that is such a, a con uh, to to make people have this illusion of of uh of the fact that there are there are the only one and 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 it's easy to make people believe that because we are thus made you know psychologically and that our egos make make us see 
everything through that prism of just being the center of the universe, you know. And, yeah, absolutely. And in a way, we all are little centers of the universe, but we have to be aware that we all are the little centers of the universe. So it's not just you or you or you or me. It's it's like actually there's a bigger thing and it's called the collective and, and that should be paid heed to. And, um, you know, so I, I, for me, this is my little, um, my little weapon, you know, to, to yeah. combat this delusion of individualism, uh, which I think make us reason in, in ways that can put us out of, you know, of like a path that is more sound, you know, that will make us behave in toxic ways yeah. and not, yeah. not see like the amount of responsibility we have for being alive. That it's not just a free ride on earth. It's like, uh, it's, it's it's a sacred journey where we're here to grow we're here to learn you know and 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 it's very purposeful but it's 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 also it's us who choose you know how purposeful it is mm -hmm. and uh, or not you know yeah but, yeah uh, well, so so the the choir and having all these voices besides the fact that i love voices and I, I love the sound of the voice and you know of course it connects us to to our hearts to our souls and um and i find it of immense power so you know i'm a vocalist myself so um yeah i'm i, I am attracted to the sound of of the collective of voices together who sing one one thing or who sing in harmony you know yeah yeah, I love that. And I feel like what you're saying, it really does feel tied to the sort of core of the album. This idea that, you know, each of us as an individual, and like we, it's like you said, on one hand, we sort of are the, each the center of the universe, right? But there's a sort of, uh, the trick to navigating that, at least as far as I can see or how I feel right now, right, is to recognize, yes, I am the center of the universe in one way, but so is everyone else, right? Everyone is also the center of the universe. And mm -hmm. it, in their heads, they feel like the main character the same way that I feel like the main character. But in so many ways, I'm convinced, of course, we're the same character, right? We're all people tied to this collective, um, you know, tied to this sort of collective destiny in some sense. Now, of course, especially for those of us in the West, we are constantly marketed to as individuals, right? And there's no better uh, customer than a customer of one, right? Because the customer yeah. of one is easiest to sell to. Um and so I, I thought a lot about that and I, and I thought about the, you know, the title of the album is Rooting for Love. And one, I really like the sort of symbolism of the tree on the cover because rooting for love, I'm thinking, of course, like cheerleading the idea of love, you know, clapping. Yeah, love. I'm rooting for love to win. But then also this idea of 
sort of rooting ourselves in existence, right? The way a tree roots itself in the ground. Um, when people hear the word love, I think very often, it, maybe it comes across uh, to some folks as sounding like a like a naive term or, or maybe sort of um, saccharine, right? People hear all you need is love and they think, well, in the face of climate change, authoritarianism, racism, class divide, you know, what, what's love going to do in the face of all of that? I, of course, would love to hear your, your uh, idea about what love actually can do in those fights, because it seems to me like it has to be sort of the centering uh, um, direction for any struggle, right? What, is, what are you talking about when you, when you talk about love, to paraphrase uh, Raymond Carver there? Um, oh, of course, yeah, it, it is a, a very vast subject and and everyone mm-hmm. will have their own interpretation or, you know, views, biased or non-biased, I don't know, uh, on this subject. But what I mean by love, when I'm talking about love, for one thing, I am talking about universal love. Um, so unconditional love mm. you know it's it's that love it's a it's a it's not a love that oh you're my girlfriend or you're my boyfriend and uh, <laughs> you belong to me and i belong to you uh it's it's the contrary to to um to belonging or uh or ownership you know it's um it's that at the anti pod of of the idea of ownership certainly yeah yeah but, not um, you're talking about the opposite of possession or something like that right yes yeah 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 because it's true love is like one bag and you can throw anything in this bag even <laughs> use right you know, right if you've been uh, brought up by uh, very abusive parents and you don't know any better then then that becomes your uh, love is that it's being hit it's being mm-hmm. abused you know and um and of course we have to have some discernment around this term where you know anything can go in that bag and um so i guess thank you for for even asking the question because it's true we need to raise these things you know what is love you know and um and it's something that I'm learning at the moment, you know, which is having unconditional love for myself, you know? Yeah, yeah. For, like, that's that's the beginning. It's like and accepting myself exactly as I am and loving myself exactly as I am. And already I'm telling you, it's a, I have a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I but, empathize. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, and... You know, anyone who's kind of honest and who knows what's ego, because I know some people who have big egos and I can tell they absolutely hate themselves and they are incapable of engaging in a in a loving relationship with someone else because they so hate themselves. But their ego tells them, kind of flatters them and they yeah. think they love themselves and they think they're quite all right. But, you know, that's just this kind of protection from the ego, this kind of crust, you know, to not 
let you feel in any deeper way, you know, what's like to something that's much more tender in oneself and and much more, yeah, maybe much more painful, much more wounded, you know? Yeah. And and the album is 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 a lot about this this inner wound that you know that I guess most of us carry and sometimes from generation to generation to generation and it's about you know healing that wound with with this unconditional love right right y- yeah you sing about that on the record the sort of idea of the way we can I think probably often just as a coping mechanism or uh, as a survival tactic, right? We build this armor around ourselves so that we don't have to feel some of that pain that you're talking about. Yeah. Ironically, of course, it is by sealing ourselves off from that pain that we end up inflicting a much, much worse pain on ourselves and others, right? Because like... (laughs) The kind of pain you're talking about there is the kind of pain, like love, love that reveals that wound at your core, but hopefully also allows you to recognize the wound at others' cores as well, right? It's all, yeah. it's all about that sort of, um, yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about. And I think about love often you know, maybe it's because we've devalued the term a little bit, right? It's like, oh, I love that restaurant or, oh, I love that, you know, whatever TV show or, oh, I love that commercial, whatever, you know, but, um, (laughs) that said, (laughs) I love those sneakers. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, well, do you, do you unconditionally love those sneakers? Of course not. Um, but that said, you know, the final song cloud six, really incredible. And, at the very end of the record, you sing, you know, I'm not fucking around. You're halfway dead. And I almost I almost viewed that as a sort of like when we talk about love, um, love that maybe has the power to actually change things, actually change the way we perceive ourselves and others. That's part of it. Love that is um, forceful and love that will share an uncomfortable truth right? Like that's a kind of love. Um, and I felt like that was a really, I, I, I worry sometimes of just how exact, how disconnected we feel from senses, a sense of possibility and, and potential, right? To me, it seems like this record is really about a lot of that, the kind of love that allows you to imagine better worlds and better relationships and better uh, connection between between each other. I don't know if that's sort of how it feels to you at this point. You've been living yeah. with the record a lot longer. Yeah, I mean, um, indeed, when you say that, it's difficult for us, like the connection from from ourselves to ourselves, to our connection to the earth and to the universe, to the natural, more natural elements. We are natural as well, by the way, but. Oh, of you course. know, it's been severed, and and the more that connection is severed, the more we are susceptible to being sold things to, and um, and and how difficult it is to then you know imagine, because also the connection to the right part of the brain, 
has been severed, you know, mm-hmm. and the right part of the brain is everything to do with imagination, intuition, yeah. the divine, even hearing, having messages, divine messages, you know, um, that has been cut off. It's also the feminine, you know, so the mystery, darkness, uh, receptivity, you know, where creativity occurs, this mysterious place where creative things and beings, you know, can yeah. come to life. So that's been downplayed. It's been, you know, uh, buried. It's been massacred. It's been thrashed and trashed around, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, and it and it still is to a degree. You know, I think because, of course, this also connects with the misogyny, you know, the hatred of women, but it's also men hating their feminine side and shitting on it and, Mm -hmm. you know, and destroying that part of themselves. But, uh, you know, so having severed all these, you know, uh, these connections with other parts of ourselves, um, make it impossible, as you say, to imagine other possibles, uh, possible realms of, you know, possibilities. And um, and also another tool that is used a lot is fear. And, and indeed, fear is opposed to love, you know, yeah. so, and, um, and when people are in fear, they can't think straight, they certainly can't connect to other, you know, parts of themselves that might give them inspiration to shift, to change, you know, to evolve. It's really kept, you know, under the uh, under uh, a, a lock, you know, whereby uh, people are just fearful and terrorized, and and they will. You know, and they will, I mean, in those instances with also um, people who are get, getting poorer and poorer and poorer, um, then it's rife for, you know, for fascism to take hold. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that is, you know, I mean, we're, we're going, we're down that route. You know, we have been in, I would say in the past 10 years, it's been observable to the naked eye that yeah. this is also at play. And, um, you know, and let's see, uh, let's see who wins. You know, I don't think because they shout the loudest that they are the strongest personally, you know, I, I still, but we have to be extremely cautious, you know, when treading around those grounds to not slip and, um, and people are, are very angry as well and rightfully so. You know they're being we're being ripped off, right? And um, yeah, and the anger can be misguided or it can be harvested by these apparatuses of fear. You know, I think the media have a huge responsibility. You know, in in how they portray events and and not other events, but certain events that will make you feel so powerful, uh, powerless, and fearful. Yeah. So where there's all these things combine and they can make a very toxic, toxic, if not explosive um, combinations, you know, and, uh, and of course I, as an artist, I mean, I have 
a little bit of power, you know, not as much as a, like a big, you know, uh, not as much as Condé Nast, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, I want to redress that and go, no, we're going to go the other way, you know, and we're going to really openly speak of love because it's a force. It's a, it's a very, very high power, that power of real unconditional love. And at some point you're talking about, you know, realizing that others are like you. Yes. You know, and all the ones who came before where I am them, they are me and yeah. people come after me, you know, like this things that have been done and felt that I've done or felt that the millions and zillion trillions of people have done before me i didn't invent it you know it's like oh, oh of, of course yeah we are, we are the same but i do want to invite the possibility of that unconditional love and compassion because you talked about something earlier that was exactly you were basically you know l l talking about compassion that you know if someone's in in deep shit or or that they are misled and they are you know in distress or or they are you know acting up you know in unreasonable ways it's, it's important also to go well, this could be me and understand also where their fear and anger and pain you know is coming yeah. from and instead of uh, embodying, taking on their energies and, you know, reflecting it back at them because there's a lot of projection that goes on. Also oh, God, yeah, yeah. That is very, very toxic. You know, it's just, you know, kind of just clean it off and, and have compassion. And I know it sounds, um, I don't know, very Jesus-like, but... Uh, Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and, as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. You know, it's so funny. You keep, I'm so glad you said that because I, I grew up in the church, you know, the Christian church. So I've heard a lot of that, you know, my whole life. Of course, I've also seen those people turn around and you know, vote for some of the worst politicians you could imagine, right? You know, so it's yeah. like, 
no one's perfect, but this idea that you're saying, it's so important to me. Yeah. I've he- I've heard it described as we live in a crisis, a crisis of certainty, which is to say that when pre- presented with either somebody or a situation or an event, we look at it and maybe it's just because of the the way the internet has kind of binaried out our brains. Maybe it's just because the binary tends to be, again, the most easily accessible uh, framework for the capitalistic mindset, whatever, however you want to put it, why ever it's happening, you know, why it's happening is that we look at something and we think we know exactly what it is. Um, when very often we don't. And I think that thing you said about the that the feminine space, the space for mystery, the space for mystery allows for the possibility that another person is not as bad as you think they are, or that you're just as bad as they are potentially, right? I really loved Naomi Klein's book, Doppelganger. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know, if, did you get a chance to read that one? No, no, I didn't. But I, I certainly had... <laughs> heard about it. I heard her talk about it. But what's your point on this? I'm my curious. Po- my point on this is that um, what she does with that book is it's it's kind of a tricky book. She's obviously talking about Naomi Wolf and talking about this like she's been confused for her due to the similarity of their names, you know, which again speaks to a, a, a problem in our society right now that people can't read two names yeah. and be able to tell yeah. the difference. But, yeah. um, but beyond that, she talks about how the process of doppelganger-ing, doppelganging, whatever, however you would say that, is yeah. that we end up imagining this other person uh, and projecting all of our worst stuff onto them, which is just yeah. what we do. It's just how it's it's something that we slip into, but it can go the other way as well, and we can project the best version of them onto them as well, and and leave space for that. And you know, w- when I think about so many lyrics on this record, who plus what has that lyric about? the verge of becoming. I think about New Moon, which is, you know, to me about the possibility that is cyclical, that like there's always a chance to reinvent and reimagine, you know, because we live in these changing cycles. To me, it seems like what you're talking about is essentially love as a way of making the world and other people more expansive and more full of potential and to me you know stereo lab and so much of your solo work has always felt countercultural and rooted in a countercultural sensibility to me this feels just so countercultural right now in this yeah. time this year where so many of us are uh prepared to receive the worst of people it seems to yeah. me like this record is saying Yes, we should be aware of that, but also there are other possibilities. There are other ways to look at people. And the sound of the record is so joyful and so pleasurable. It's such a, um, I love listening to it because it just makes me feel good. And it's like, that's countercultural too, right? Like we're (laughs) suspicious of feeling good even because all the things that normally make us feel good are so bad for us. You know what I mean? (laughs) But yeah, it just goes to show how toxic this yeah, this, yeah. Um, this culture has become. And 
and it's like we have to come out of the toxicity you know and say no actually i want to breathe i want to i want to walk you know and eat cleaner foods and you know like also it's a question of saying no 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 to the to the tox to the toxicity because we we all have you know the right to be alive and well on this planet and we mm -hmm. don't have to uh, have um, traumatic lives over and over and over and over and over again like you know we've done that and and, and i feel it's time to to step out of you know we have we have a lot of tools now to to live quite happily and you know that there is there's enough abundance to to feed the whole world and and um material i mean we could re reorganize to to optimize these things and there's just no political will and of course because you know some people make a lot of money out of this and that's right you know and that they're they're keeping it down but but it's like it's a time also to realize the power that we have the tremendous power that we have you know as as being human beings as you say our potentials have been severed you know it's like okay well let's reclaim these potentialities our potential yeah and um and you know reorientate to the amount of power that we actually have at our disposal but we we're blind to it or we are deaf to it but yeah. it's actually there and we can tap into it you know at any yeah. moment but it is it is about finding the way back to that and i think at the moment we are as you say there's so much uncertainty um that it's a good moment to reclaim that power instead of going oh, it's your fault you know i hate mm -hmm. you to your neighbors or whatever you know or black workers or women or i don't know whoever we're going to target as object of our hatred you know like come back to the self and 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 do heal heal some of those wounds and and access access more of our our power of our individual power but when that's reclaimed like you know, co collectively use it to move towards something that's that's worth it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and worth it in a collective sense, not worth it in just a purely individual sense. Because yeah, yeah. But to me, the collective serves serves the individual. You can't have uh -huh. a, a society full of individuals and alone. I mean, we're so unhappy. We are at our best when we are in connection with others but it's just that you know some ideology has been implanted into our brains that there's not enough to go around for everybody and there's only losers and winners you know like you're either a loser or a winner and that we are competitors you know to yeah. to one another so we have we are in constant comp competition and 
And in fact, that's not true. It's just a view of the mind. It's not true. There's no competition. There could be actually cooperation, collaboration, co-creation, you know, yeah. like, like, and the shift I think is slowly happening. And I want to see it come about fast, you yeah. know, because we are faced with, with uh, some serious uh, questions and issues. And that's that, right. That that need, you know, that need solving, and or if not fully solved, you know, at least we need to to shift towards something that's going to be much more uh, functioning for most, as opposed to just the extra. But even the extra rich, what is a toxic planet good to them? It's not good, you know. That's what. That's why so many of them want to go to Mars or go yeah, to the moon go or to whatever. Mars. Yeah, you guys go to Mars. Take a, a spaceship and go to Mars. Except that you can't live on Mars. You know, where do they get this idea that on other... We're just not equipped. We are human it, beings. We're embodied human beings that need oxygen and need gravity. And, you know, like... Well, and we are... And we are the We're so conditioned to view ourselves as separate from the Earth as opposed to... A part of it or a process of it you know i think the inner smile from this record I, I found that song so moving and found myself kind of doing the meditation thing while listening to it and scanning my body scanning mm -hmm. my organs you know you're saying like sort of like i feel like in that song you're, you're trying to remind us that when we're talking about the collective, if we want to get really far out, or if you want to t look at it from a purely biological perspective, even our own bodies are the work of a collective, right? Collective uh, microorganisms in our guts and all of this stuff. Um, yeah. So it's like even we are a collective, right? Me, I'm a collective yeah. in and of myself on my in my body. But I think that th that's kind of crucial right for this like when we talk about something like climate change and i can't pretend to be like an expert on the science of how we're going to address climate change or anything like that so i won't pretend but i do think that a major stumbling block in addressing anything is this view that we are somehow not a part of the earth versus what i think is a more holistic and correct one which is that this is our home. This is us too, right? Like, and so yeah. I don't know. Listening to this record really put me in that that space and uh, in that space to imagine on those terms. It's a very, very helpful and hopeful thing to do. Mm. Well, I'm glad it's done that for you. That's extraordinary. And but it, it, indeed, there is you know an intent to to find equilibrium, to find balance, to rebalance um, things that are really out of whack. Yeah. And this, you know, our bodies are so brilliant. The technology is just absolutely amazing. And indeed, constantly trying to to rebalance, to find, always find balance, you know, the homeostasis. And, yeah. you know, even emotionally, you know, not just the cells, uh, it's always constantly repairing, you know, and 
and redressing, you know, whatever is out of whack. And um, and that is, you know, that's a sort of thing in nature that's there de facto. You know, that's the sort of the enlightenment is yeah. is about just this this vital force that will seek to constantly, constantly heal and mend and and balance, you know, and it's just there always acting, you know, and and of course they're cyclical, you know, so the leaves, you know, they, they're born and then they die. We're born and then we die. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the cycle. And uh and it's and it's okay. And there'll be more of us, you know, yeah. that are born and more leaves on the trees. And, um, you know, it's crazy that we can't somehow just accept that, you know, that we want to become immortal and, right. uh, you know, or leave, absolutely leave, you know, a stamp of that I was here, <laughs> you know. Yeah. This is yeah. my legacy. And like this, this is, um, I don't know, it's like, there's no need for that. Who cares, you know? Right. Who cares about being immortal? Just you know, enjoying enjoy it while while it's here, while you or you are a part of it, you know. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly that. And and also, if you end up focusing too much on that I, that idea of what you leave behind, then you're always positioning the the present moment at some other point down the line, right? And so you're just yeah. living in this like uh this this lack of of that, you know? It's like recognize that the future is now, right? And the past is now. Everything is yeah. now. And so, yeah. yeah. Try to you know, it's funny talking about legacy. I wanted to touch on something that I just found so uh fascinating thinking about your your vast body of work and that's that Stereolab, of course, is a is a band that is like very influential to indie rock and whatever you know, uh, experimental pop and all of that stuff. But at the same time, Stereolab has also made a huge, huge imprint uh, in the world of hip hop. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about you know Tyler the Creator, Pharrell, Madlib, MF Doom, of course, Jay Dilla. All of these people uh, have helped to. Uh, put Stereo Lab in front of people who might not otherwise hear it, and of course have drawn from it and created their own incredible art. I was going back and listening, and I think that the Busta Rhymes song "Show Me What You Got." Do you do you remember that? That's from the 2000 album uh, "Anarchy," and that was uh, the first JD J Dilla sample that I found. He play, he samples "Come and Play in the Milky Night," and then he also used it again for. A J-Lib cut the message, but I was curious when you first heard yourself sampled uh, on on that album. What did that feel like, and was it an exciting moment? Uh, what, what what were your thoughts? Um, I mean, I am super. Um, uh, I don't know what's it. Very excited that there was a crossover there. Yeah. Over. Uh, between hip hop and us, you know, and some of the hip hop community, and um, I, I saw it as something because I was never a big hip hop fan because 
I know Mary was really into her hip hop. Yeah. But all I all I could hear was really misogynistic, you know, homophobic sure. lyrics and like the shitty end of of, of hip hop. And um I was and I never really dug around but but of course I can see um you know a real force in hip hop or rap and um and a, a reinvention of of um of the of a political message of like something really really that runs deep and yeah. that is culturally you know um life i would say determining you know life or death you know i can see that for some people you know doing this music meant that they could survive in super harsh environment sure um or listening to it, you know, it's like a, it's like a, a safe, uh, um, something that saves you, you know, like um, the, what they have on boats, you know, the round thing that they throw in the water. Oh, life, save. life preservers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those round, you know, with sauvetage. And um, so it's, it's very important cultural movement. And, you know, I really, you can't deny that, but I was never really too much into into that movement. But um, having said that, I would love to work with Madlib, you know, and JD yeah. Life was still around. Yeah, you know, it would be my delight. But also, what what for me, what it revealed to me is that some of these rappers um, or or hip hop people, you know, they're music lovers. And that is what where we meet, you right. know. It, it's our love of music and certain musics, and I think music is a very cosmic thing. I think I I've had this impression with certain people that we visited the same planets, yeah. You know, throughout time, and then we come to this planet and we have you know this certain liking and certain sensibilities, and. Um, you know, and and it really, really touched me that ah, uh, yeah, okay, yes, totally, we're totally brothers and sisters here. We have visited the same planets, you know, and that this goes wider than just purely the genre, you know, those silly categorizations. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, it's beyond that, you know. So certainly, it's funny that you mentioned the way that this music had a had a life preserving quality for people i was you know i was curious so i went back and i listened to that busta rhyme song and i thought to myself you know i like busta as a as a lyricist but i would like to hear this instrumentally i just want to hear just what jd did in terms of the the beat itself so i went to youtube and of course somebody has uploaded a like a 13 minute version of that beat without any raps and it's just the loop and your guys's sample and JD's chopping, and uh, there's a there's a this is was it was a YouTube comment that was left two years ago by somebody named uh, I guess Ben Medi is what I would say, but Medi Ben four one eight six is his uh, YouTube name. But anyway, Ooh. he's listening to this. 13 minute version of show me what you got and he writes i was listening to this in quarantine 2020 when everybody is sleeping streets are empty darkness outside feeling alone and wondering about the future 
this beat just made me feel so much better. R.I.P. J. Dilla. And I thought, what an amazing, beautiful thing that this song that you recorded that was taken by somebody else, repurposed, recontextualized, all these years later, decades later, reaches somebody at this pivotal moment when they need some peace, and it provides it. And it made me think, like, you know, that must be an amazing feeling for you as an artist to understand the way your songs have lives outside of you, you know? Yeah, and we can't control that in any way, so we can't really take the the glory of it. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't. You can't take the credit for it. You should, though, maybe just a little bit, because it, it is a really good. <laughs> but I mean, I know what music can do to me. You know, like right. the miracles it can operate on yeah. my body and soul. So, but uh, yeah, it's it's something. You know, again, it's it's this um, propriety thing. This, you know, it's yeah. You you create something and you're responsible for it in the sense that you're gonna take it on tour, or you know, put it on a record or the, the whatever, perform it somehow. But it doesn't completely belong to you. It's you know, it's like when you have a child, you're responsible, but it's not your your propriety is not your possession you know right right yeah no absolutely absolutely i wanted to ask you about another favorite of mine somebody who um anytime i get a chance to ask somebody about their work with them i i, I relish it because i'm a really big fan of the late richard swift and oh, uh, yeah. i went and revisited your 2010 album the trip and first off what a great record i loved that when it came out and really loved revisiting it um he 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 was somebody who seemed to have like a pretty intuitive musical mind what was your experience working with richard like um yes he did have a very exquisite musical mind and intuitive yeah very gentle and Mm. powerful uh, soul. Um, I really, um, I really loved working with him. Um, I know we, we went on tour, uh, with, uh, Monad, then Richard, then Stereolab. And, um, so that's when I met Richard and, uh, but we, we didn't really, we didn't speak very much. We just said right at the end, went for a quick walk together and said yeah we should work together yeah and and he he came to play with his band in london and um and it was amazing and the bass player yuki matthews also really impressed me it it just sounded so just each note that he played was like it just felt so just somehow and um so we reiterated the possibility of of and the desire to work together and indeed when um my little sister passed away i wrote some songs and um and he said come 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 to me <laughs> come to in my garage in uh, somewhere near in oregon yeah uh, i think uh, not not cottage corvallis grove. uh cottage grove exactly yeah right and uh, so I so I, I did buy the 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 flight to uh, to Portland and 
and made the trip to the trip to to record <laughs> with him and um and it was you know two weeks or i don't know maybe it was 10 days of 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 bliss working with with this guy and and Yuki came along and uh, my friend Rebecca Gates also came out to do some vocals with me and and um actually it was the, I saw Trish on that occasion as well from broadcast it was a very very amazing trip and very oh, wow. memorable time and um and uh I don't think I I don't think yeah, I did see Richard again. He played with uh, Damien Damien Jurado. Yeah, in London. So I did get to see him one more time. Yeah, and I yeah. was really pleased of the atmosphere on the on the record. It was just easy to work with him. Like he was like a brother, and we knew each other. And there was almost like telepathy, you know, a state of telepathy uh, between us. The, the yeah. Was, didn't need to, to talk at great lengths, you know, about what I wanted. It was pretty much there. Oh, what a what a blessing that anytime you don't have to explain, right? Like what a mm. what a treat that can be. Um to just know that the person gets it. That well, I mean, that that comes across that sense of telepathy. And obviously he was a a big fan so he brought his energy to that record you know um and i really i really really love that album and i think when we started speaking i mentioned that i i had got to see the reunited stereo lab shows and i knew that i was going to have a good time but the energy on stage uh in 2019 with you and stereo lab was really something to behold it seemed like it seemed from the audience like you were having a lot of fun getting into those songs. I think about how Stereolab always played around with nostalgia in an interesting way. Uh, nostalgic tones, be it exotica or you know mid-century kitsch or things like that, lounge sounds, all of that. I wondered for you as a creator what kind of role nostalgia played being on stage with that band again did you enjoy that tour and and did it reveal new things about the stereo lab songs to you even yeah i i think we're a better band a much more enjoyable band now i mean to me yeah uh, than we right. were before and I think because now we're five people and energetically there's no relying on that six wheel of like I don't know it was putting us out of balance somehow and it wasn't clarifying what is the role of each component so I think energetically we lock in by there not being any uh uh, possibility of play you only have one role and this is it you know and you play well and you play to your fullest and someone else is doing this other role and this other role and this other role and as a five piece we create of course hopefully more than the summer yeah um so it makes it much more enjoyable 
and of course, yeah, we egos, I think, are have been tamed. So, <laughs> so, but that means also the love can circulate, you know, a bit, sure. a bit more freely, can flow, and and I find the band plays more from the heart, which is a more sustainable energy than playing from one's ego or from one's force. So it's less of a battlefield because it's been a lot of battlefield, the, the stage. Now it's more a collaborative field than it is a battlefield. So that feels nice. And um, yeah, and I think some pe people, you know, we have young people, 19-year-old people who come and see us, you know, like how lucky we are to have an entire new generation people who never thought also i don't know maybe people in their 30s who didn't quite get a chance like oh wow i get a chance to see sterilab you know so there's yeah. also that energy that people bring that yeah. we are we know we are blessed you know so so that makes it for an absolutely um adorable situation <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that is how it felt to me. And um, that's that's how this conversation has felt to me. I uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me about this record and not just about the music, but sort of the the intentionality behind it. Um, mm -hmm. I found it a very moving record. And this conversation has been really uh, invigorating for me. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Uh, it, it means a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's lovely to speak with you. Thanks so much for listening. Leticia Sidir's Rooting for Love is out now, and it has already found a spot on my favorite albums of 2024 so far list. I am Jason P. Woodbury. I produce, write, and host this show. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton. Our music comes from Frank Maston, drawn from his fantastic discography of gorgeous library music. You can find a lot more of it by visiting his Bandcamp page. Art for this episode was created by Ian Everett, and our show's executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his weekly radio program every Wednesday, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU Channel 35 at 7 p.m. Pacific Time. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse podcast network. You can visit the TalkHouse for more interviews, fascinating reads, and podcasts. Aquarium Drunkard is financially powered by the support of our Patreon supporters. So if you dig what Aquarium Drunkard is up to, if you dig this podcast, if you dig our reviews, mixtapes, interviews, essays, lanyap sessions, the Aquarium Drunkard picture show, all of it, if it means something to you, Supporting us on Patreon is the best way that you can help us keep making all the stuff we make. And if you are looking for another way to support transmissions in particular, um, I'll just ask that you send uh, this episode to a friend who you think might dig it. You know you've got a Stereo Lab fanatic in your uh, Rolodex. Send this their way and let them know that it's a good talk and that you enjoyed it. You can, of course, also rate and review the podcast for Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, but I care a lot less about that than I do organic peer-to-peer -peer passing along, so go ahead and do it that way. 
If you want to get in touch, you can find my contact info at Aquarium Drunkard, and you can also email me directly at Jason P. Woodbury at Gmail. I love hearing from listeners, so feel free to reach out with questions, suggestions, and reflections. Next week on the show, I'm really excited to share a remarkable conversation with pianist and thinker Vijay Iyer, whose new album, Compassion, is available now from the amazing and long-running ECM Records. You know we are ECM heads here at AD, so I hope you will come back and join us for that fantastic talk. In the meantime, be well. This transmission is concluded.